I'm Jack Simlicka and welcome to this episode of our 2016 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. Today's program, Keeping Precision Data Safe and Secure, is once again being brought to you by Farmer's Edge. This is your first time tuning in. I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you have another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed there as well. And by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to Farmer's Edge Proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952 952- Five eight two one three nine eight. Well, it seems that almost on a daily basis we hear about another cyber hacking scandal or thousands of consumers' sensitive information exposed through a data breach. I admit that I'm increasingly conscious of when, where, and with who I share my personal information. With data, personal or not, being a highly valuable commodity in today's world, keeping it safe and secure can be a daunting challenge, especially for businesses. This is certainly true of precision data farmers are collecting, storing, and analyzing. While adoption of data collection tools and methods are on the rise, there is still skepticism within the industry regarding access and ownership of farm data. But there are safeguards and solutions that dealers can deliver to bolster customer confidence that their farm information will be safe and secure. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast brought to you by Farmer's Edge, attorneys Lance Formwalt and Todd Jansen discuss common challenges tied to collection, storage, and sharing of farm data, and how retailers can protect themselves and their customers from liability and loss. Good morning, everyone. As Jack mentioned, my name is Lance Formwalt. I'm an attorney with Siegfried Bingham out of Kansas City. Uh, I normally uh, talk about this topic for about an hour and 10 minutes. Jack's been gracious enough to give me 15 minutes. So I'm going to try to, it's probably pretty smart. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to speed through this thing and give you some information, hopefully be useful to you in your business. But uh, uh, our firm has been uh, involved in this for about three years. Um, been working uh, with the Western Equipment Dealers Association, and it started as a result of some calls that came in through our association hotline, uh, questions that uh, John Deere had come out to their dealers and started talking to them about, hey, we want, we want you guys to have a data management plan in place. And so that led to some calls about, you know, what the heck is this? What do we need to do? Do we need to pay attention to this? And, and how can you help us? And so we started getting involved in this and tried to put together a program of documents, materials, uh, training materials, implementation guides to help walk dealers through the issues to deal with this topic in terms of keeping uh, customer information safe and secure. And so what I want to do is kind of go through some of those high-level issues with you uh, this morning, and then Todd's going to cover some of those items as well, and then we'll take some questions. 
But just from an overview standpoint, uh, where we are today is the bottom line is we're dealing with these issues of data because the products and services that you're selling have changed so much. I mean, this whole concept of precision ag over the last 10 or 15 years has resulted in a lot of, of, great, of great technology that can benefit your customers. There's a lot of information that's thrown off of that stuff that hopefully helps them make more money and become more profitable in their business. Uh, but along with that, the customers also recognize whether it's in you know, our industry or whether it's dealing with uh, just, just their own experience and just, just being an everyday consumer, they know there's some negative consequences to people having all their information. There's downsides to that. And so we're not going to go back to the day where we don't have access to data and don't use it to make decisions, but it's, creating, it's created a tension between customers and between, and between businesses like yourselves. And that tension now has led to the need for some legal relationships. And that's what's really changed a lot in the last few years. There's been a lot more going on in terms of legal requirements. So part of what I want to talk to you today is not only just what your, your customers are expecting, but some of the legal requirements are coming down the pipeline. The other thing you guys need to know is that everyone else in the industry is talking about this. There's groups all over the place that have different focuses, different agendas, but are shaping policy in this area. You've got a, a Growers Information Services Cooperative. It's a co-op formed out of Texas. They've got members in like 38 states now. And uh, they're, what they're trying to do is create a, a secure data bank for producers to store their information and maybe monetize that information down the road. Um, the Farm Bureau has been active in developing data principles uh, you know, to really focus on, on data privacy and security elements. I know Todd is going to talk more about that. Uh, there's a group called the Open Ag Data Alliance. And their, their interest is a group that's formed by producers, uh, seed companies, uh, manufacturers, equipment manufacturers. And what, what they're really focusing on is portability. Okay, if I'm working with one ag tech provider, am I going to have the ability to transfer my information as a producer easily to another platform? And so there's all these different groups that are playing a role in what's going on today, and it's important for you guys to be aware of that and to, and to participate in that process. Um, as I mentioned, kind of John Deere started, kind of kicked this off for us when they started putting pressure on, on their dealers. They view this as a kind of a brand issue. You know, if there's a problem that goes on in one of your dealerships and you've got, you've got a, a, John Deere, a John Deere sign, a Case IH sign, whatever it may be, that becomes a brand issue. Kind of like a bad burger served at McDonald's is a McDonald's issue. It's not the franchisee's issue. And so that's leading to some pressure from manufacturers. And finally, I want to talk a little bit about the legal obligations. We'll spend a little more time talking about that later on. So what I want to cover today are just a few basics uh, on data security. Uh, talk to you a little bit about what goes into a data security plan, okay, from both the documentation and implementation, and then spend some time talking about liability. Okay, that's always fun, but that's something that we've got to deal with as dealers uh, in, in this industry, and then spend just a little bit of time talking about some insurance that's available there from a risk management standpoint. So when you look at the question of what, you know, what exactly are we trying to protect? And Todd's going to go into a little more detail about the types of information, but just a couple basic categories. Uh, personal information, you've got your customer's information. You talk about name, maybe financial information, address, something like that. You've got employee information. Okay, that information is, is, is stuff that you've been obligated to protect for a long time. There's a lot of times in different, there's different categories of information that are subject to special protection. But you also have business information, and that's a lot of what we're talking about today. And that's business information deals with your, either your customer's information or your own information. And when we talk about data security, a lot of legal obligations come out of this personal information piece. But the same stuff you do to protect that also goes to protect the business information. So when you're, when you're addressing this, you might as well address them all, all together, and you'll help satisfy, you help satisfy your customers and your legal requirements. So why are we doing this? I've already talked a little bit about your customers' expectations. Um, you know the manufacturers, some of those are starting to put pressure on dealers to address this, these areas. 
and then we've got the legal obligations. And in the United States has, been, has typically been pretty hands-off when it comes to regulating what goes on with data management. Uh, they've been a little bit different. Canada's been a lot more proactive in terms of, of having, having requirements for how you address this stuff. But in, in the U.S., it's been hands-off. Now, you guys all have contracts with finance providers. Most of those contracts have language in there that talks about maintaining a data security, uh, a data security plan to protect, to protect your customers' confidential information. Okay? I don't know whether you know that or not, and I'm pretty sure most of us are ignoring those things, but the, con but the language has been in the contracts for quite a while. A lot of states have, there are 47 states that have data breach notification laws. So if you lose information about a customer, this is focused on personal information, you've got to report it to the customer. You may have to do some investigation as to what caused the breach. You may have to notify the attorney general in the state where it happened. And that's kind of what's led to all these kind of almost a daily announcement of, hey, you know, so-and-so restaurant company lost information, hotel chain lost information. There's been auto dealers have had to report under this. I haven't been aware of any equipment dealers yet that have had to, had to deal with that. But that, that kind of law is out there. And then the federal government is out there now. Uh, Congress can't pass any laws, but, but Obama's been pretty good about using the executive branch to, to layer on some new interpretations of existing laws or, or write some new regulations, right? And so the FTC's been at it. The FTC's got a, there's a law out there that says you can't use unfair or deceptive trade practices in your, in your relationships with your customers. And what they've done is they've now taken that to apply that to data security, saying that, saying that if you collect information about your customers, this is, again, focused on the personal information, if you collect that stuff, you've got an obligation to have a reasonable data security plan in place. There's no actual regulations out there that say this. Okay, but, but the bottom line is they're expecting you to, to deal with this. And they've been, they've been pursuing enforcement actions against a lot of different companies over the last several years. Most of them settle. Well, there's a hotel chain. The Wynd Wyndham Worldwide fought it. They had a couple data breaches. They fought it. They went to court. They lost. They lost twice. Actually, they may have lost three times on appeal. But they've, they're, they're, they've exhausted. They're done. And it's now, been, it's now been settled. The FTC has got authority to regulate you know, data security practices through the unfair and deceptive trade practices prong of the, of the law. And so it's something that it's kind of new information that, that you all need to realize. If you're collecting information about your customers, you actually have, you've got some legal obligations out there to do something about it, okay? And then there's, that's, that's been a big change that's come out. That, that decision just came out just a few months ago. So what are, we, what are you trying to prevent? When you put in place a data security plan, everyone talks about trying to stop the hackers from your, getting information on your website. Okay, but a data security plan is a lot more than that. It's looking at, at all aspects of your business. How do you collect information? Where do you store it? So some common things you're going to want to look at. You need to look at what happens with a lost or stolen laptop. What happens if an employee steals information? And I don't just mean stealing. I mean leaving. They just leave with it, right? They go to a new job, and they're going to use it at that new employer. Dumpster diving. Copy machine. Okay, you got to realize when you copy, you copy everything you copy, it's stored. A copy of that is stored on a computer. When you trade out that copy machine every couple of years, if you don't do something with that hard drive, all your, all your data has just gone out, the, gone out the door. Okay? Simple stuff. There's simple ways to deal with it, but you've got to deal with that. Service providers, they have access to your information. If you've got someone helping you out with IT, someone helping with marketing, they may have access to your information. Okay? So what are, what are their weaknesses? What are their limitations in, the, in your contracts with them about, about what they can do with your data? So when you look at data security... You know, now the federal government's looking at this, what standards do you have to meet? I mean, it's important to know, there's, while there's no official regulations, the bottom line is it's reasonable. Okay? You're not looking at trying to create Fort Knox. You're not out here spending hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to protect every conceivable loss of data that could occur. It ain't going to happen. And the good news is you don't, have to, you don't have to deal with that. You don't have to do that. 
you get to look at you get to look at how sensitive is the information, how much do I have, okay, what's the cost going to be? Those are all factors to play in to what a good data security plan is. And part of what we've worked on through the association is trying to develop what we think is a reasonable data security plan. It doesn't cost an arm and a leg to put in place, okay. But along along those lines, don't get freaked out about this stuff. Don't overpromise stuff to your customers. I've heard too many dealers talk about, hey, I've told them I'm, I'm never going to give the information to anybody else. Your information is always going to be secure. Don't, you don't need to say that stuff. Okay, don't. You're setting yourselves up for issues. Okay, rely on your policies. Your policies are going to have some caveats in them to help protect you. Okay, but so be careful about that and don't, don't overpromise. But you got to do something about it to have in place a reasonable plan. So what, what can you do? You need to adopt appropriate policies and procedures. Okay, you got to have some paperwork. Okay, that's what the lawyers love. You got to do some of that stuff. Um, you got to have, have a, you're gonna have a privacy policy. You're gonna have an information security program. But along the same lines, you also got to train people and you got to implement it. Okay, you can't just have pieces of paper. So when you have the documentation piece, just just five basic components: a privacy policy. That's what you give to your customers. Okay, that's your outward facing. Here's what we're collecting. Here's what we're gonna do with it. Here's how we're gonna store it and, and secure it. Okay, your information security program. That's what you're living by. Okay, internally. Okay, that's your that's you're telling somebody, hey, you're in charge, you're assigning responsibility, you're assigning some principles, and you're gonna go out and you're gonna identify where do we store data, how do we do it, and how are we gonna put in place a reasonable security program. Okay, that's your internal policies and procedures. You've got vendors you deal with, you need to have contracts with them. You may want to do due diligence about how they store your information. Okay, but at a minimum you want to have, have contracts that limit how they can use your information. Okay, you've got customers. If you're telling customers you're not going to give the information away, then if they ask you to give it to their agronomist or crop insurer, you're going to want to have a procedure for documenting that. And you've got your employees, finally. Okay? Employees have to have access to your information. At the same time, if there's nothing else you take from this, get, in, get a confidentiality agreement with every single one of your employees. It's just, a, it's just a component of a data security plan. It's simple, it's basic, but it's important to do. Okay? And, and you've got you got to have that. So you got to touch on all these relationships when you have when you deal with data security. And like I said earlier, if you got all the paperwork, you actually put yourself in a worse place if you've got the paperwork but you haven't done anything to put it in place. Okay. And so part of this is it's implementation. Well, we've developed an implementation guide through a, through a consultant that we used that went out to actually uh, uh, three or four different dealerships, spent a couple days at each one to kind of see how are you actually dealing with data. What are the different ways you collect it and gather it. And he put, put in place an implementation guide. The idea was, it's like 70 pages, okay? You think it's complicated, but the whole, the whole, reason, it's, the whole reason it's so detailed is, the idea is, is to give you guys, as long as you've got a, kind of a project manager, you don't have to have an expert. It's got checklists to walk you through. A lot of the stuff you may already be doing, what you haven't ever done is a comprehensive look at it. It's not rocket science, but what we've tried to do is put together the information from a dealer's perspective as to what you typically need to be looking for, what you typically need to do, walk you through it step by step. That's implementation, okay? It doesn't cost an arm and a leg. It does take time, though, okay? It's going to take you some time. And we try to phase it in chunks, but it could take you 12 weeks. You're not going to devote all your time to it, so you've got to give yourself a reasonable time frame to put something in place, okay? But that's, that's the implementation phase. And then finally, you've got training. We put together some training videos, okay? So instead of you having to talk to someone about the basics of data security, there's a, there's a video you can show to your, your employees to help them understand that. Because if your employees don't understand what you're gonna do, what you're trying to accomplish through this, it doesn't do you any good either. Okay, so it all has to work together. Now, leaving the data security, one piece that I wanna talk about is liability. Uh, when we talk about with, with um, when you're selling equipment, okay, you're, you're used to having a warranty behind you. 
okay, to help backstop you. But as you guys get more and more into services that come along with the precision ag, hell, just even your basic repair service you're doing, dealers generally don't, they do a very good job of getting the job done and taking care of the customer. What they don't do a good job is managing their liability risk associated with that. Okay, most dealers that I come across don't have any limitations on their liability. And what's happening is, as we see more and more, we see bigger customers, we see uh, more consequences coming out of the expectations. We see, you know, claims for yield lost. Okay, oh, I planted too much here or that, the variability is off. Those all lead to claims. I mean, it's stuff that, that people couldn't even think about doing before, but guess what? Now, now you're offering a service, but you're also taking on a liability. Okay, and so if you do, if you have a bad repair that causes a problem or you give bad advice, you, you're going to be exposed. And so what I really want to encourage you to do, want to do as dealers is start adopting what people do typically in, in other retail industries, which is put in place a clause to limit your liability. Okay, limit it maybe to a refund of what, of what you were paid. Okay, it doesn't mean you don't take care of your customer, but it changes the conversation a little bit. Because I've, I've seen too many six-figure claims that come up that maybe not even are covered by insurance. Okay, and so the way you do that is you have to put in place some... Some, some boilerplate language. Again, lawyer, lawyers love this stuff, okay? But what you guys have been really good about is you're, you're great about creating all these different product offerings, but you've got different multiple locations. You may have different product offerings, different service offerings, and you're putting them in place in one-page sheets. You know, they're both advertisements and contracts, and that works great. But you need to, you need to have it go along with some standard terms, okay, to help protect yourself. Keep the one-page contracts, but you've got to have some standard terms to back it up to help cover some of this stuff, which is important, Okay. Now, finally, I want to talk a little bit about insurance. There's a couple insurance products out there that can help you. And some of these are standard with your, with your uh, PNC coverage your, and your liability coverage. There's some data compromise insurance to help. It's small amounts that helps you, though, if you ever had one of these state data breach notification issues where you had to comply with the law. It's there to help you do that. Okay? And by and large, because you guys, most of you aren't doing thousands of transactions like a, like a restaurant might do. You're doing more higher volume, higher dollar volume, fewer transactions. I think the amount of coverage you typically get is there is probably pretty, is probably appropriate for what the risk is. Um, there's there's also cyber insurance policies out there, cyber risk policies that may cover some more of the business data and information that you might have you might have at risk. Um, what I'll tell you there is that stuff is fairly expensive, and you know to actually even qualify for that, you got to prove to the insurance company you got a robust data security plan in place already to help limit their risk. And so you really can't get around you can't buy yourself you know insurance to get around the data security piece. You got you got to do both. And finally, um, Federated and Century in the last um, couple of years have come out with a precision ag liability rider to go with their liability insurance. Now, it's got some, there's some caveats and all that, but the bottom line is there's some coverage there that wasn't there before that can help you with some yield loss claims that weren't covered before. And it can give you some, expo some coverage. There's, there's limits on it that, that I'm, you know, I'm not sure how exactly how it's going to play out yet, but it's better than what we had before. We'll be right back to the program and hear from Todd Jansen, but I did want to, again, thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for making this program possible. Farmer's Edge is proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. When his comments Lance 
mention the impact that a casual or non-existent data privacy policy can have, not only on individual dealers, but suppliers as well. With more emphasis on building a service reputation to help gain a competitive edge, the last thing manufacturers want is for their dealers to tarnish the brand by not taking the proper liability precautions when it comes to data. While farm equipment dealers operate individually, they are also representatives for their suppliers. And Lance used the analogy of getting a bad burger from McDonald's and how the experience not only damages the reputation of that individual restaurant, but leaves a bad taste in the customer's mouth about the company as a whole. Limiting liability and setting realistic expectations are two things Lance says dealers can do to pro proactively prevent a damaging customer experience. Let's get back to the program now and hear from Todd Jansen on understanding access and ownership of farm data. Uh, well, thank you. I, I agree with everything Lance said so far. So uh, two attorneys agree that's a good thing. Um, well, real quickly, a little bit more about me, how, why I'm up here on the stage. I, I'm uh, originally a farm kid from south central Kansas uh, near Newton. I'll just get that out of the way. Someone will always ask me after I talk, well, where specifically in Kansas? And I'll ask them how well they know Kansas. But Newton's the closest town. Uh, but I, uh, I grew up on a farm, then I went to law school. And after law school, and I started practicing in a law firm here in Indianapolis, and I, I quickly realized that there was a pretty small group of people uh, who had that farming background and were practicing attorneys. And so I've tried to really capitalize that on in, uh, during my career, and it, it fits well with me because I love farming, I love agriculture. And in the last few years, I've gotten really involved in the precision ag space and working with companies uh, to develop privacy policies and other contracts that uh, they sign with farmers um, in order to make sure that everyone knows what's happening to farm data. And so I'm going to speak today about uh, three things, really. Uh, one is sort of an overview about how I think the law today views farm data. Um, secondly, some drafting tips for uh, dealers in your service contracts that farmers would sign. And then finally, just talk about a big project that's coming down the pike uh, called the Ag Data Transparency Evaluator that I'm working on and, and how that might impact what you all do. Uh, well, first of all, I, I always like to start by saying, what are we really talking about when you, the people in the media and uh, attorneys and others talk about farm data? And uh, Lance I had a, a good slide up there where he talked about personally identifiable information, and then the other category was business information. And I've broken these down a little bit more uh, detailed here. Uh, and we've got the personally identifiable information like name, address, phone number. Uh, but then in the, in the business information, um, I would say this could be broken down even further. You've got agronomic data, uh, yield information, things like that, uh, prescriptions, uh, machine data, which is that telemetrics and the uh, things like when a tractor needs an oil change and how much fuel it's using. And then you've got the production data itself, which would be more like the information I think of that a farmer keeps on their computer at the home office. And I like to at least start by talking about these different categories because I think from a legal 
legal aspect, it matters what you're talking about because uh, farmers have different expectations of privacy with these different buckets of information. Of course, no one wants their personal information out there uh, shared with the world. Um, I think people are fairly secretive of agronomic data. Uh, but then when you talk about machine data, it's probably less of a secretive issue. Uh, and production data, once again, would be something that farmers do care more about. Um, when you think about data uh, in the United States, right, um, I like to think that in other areas, the law's already stepped in to protect certain information. So if you're talking about financial information, there are laws on the books that protect that. Uh, medical, anyone who's been to the doctor knows about uh, all the HIPAA forms that you sign, and so that's highly regulated, highly protected. And in personal information, uh, that's something that's protected on more of a state-by-state -state approach, so it's different from state to state. But when you talk about farm data, agronomic data, those categories, there really aren't laws on the books uh, that we would typically go to to find out what the protections are or what sort of requirements must be in contracts. Um, so then you ask yourself, well, if, if there aren't specific statutes that regulate farm data, how would the law view this? And so I think the only other way to look at it is through the lens of intellectual property. And in intellectual property, we have patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. And this agronomic data really doesn't fit into any of these categories very well. The closest would probably be trade secret law. Uh, a patent, as we know, is something that's uh, a new invention. A trademark, we know what that is, something like the, the John Deere leaping deer. A and a copyright is a literary work or a musical work or some sort of creative expression. Uh, so none of those really fit with what we're talking about. So that leaves us with trade secrets. Um, trade secrets, uh, every state has a law that protects trade secrets at some level. Uh, this is the legal definition from the Uniform Trade Secret Act. Um, and I, I won't read the whole thing to you, but I'll just say a trade secret is something like the formula for Coca-Cola, right? It's something that a company has, it keeps secretive, and that it's not easily uh, derived by reverse engineering or figuring out uh, through some easy way. Um, and, and the company goes to great lengths to make sure that it stays secretive. And, and the, my point to all of this is to think uh, of farm data from your perspective. Um, if farm data is going to be something that's respected and protected uh, from a legal sense, then you really have to think of it through that lens of a trade secret. And that means uh, protecting it, uh, keeping it secret, and making sure that the, uh, the farmer's interests are kept in mind. Um, I want to talk next about um, just some basic tips. Uh, if you think about trade secrets as the law that would potentially apply to farm data, uh, some things that I think that, uh, from your standpoint, uh, should be included in service agreements with farmers. And specifically what I'm talking about is those contracts that a farmer might sign uh, when they hire a dealership to come out and service the equipment. Or maybe it's a contract that is provided at the time that the equipment is sold to the farmer themselves. Um, so if you think about uh, the law of trade secrets, I think the first thing that a contract like this should address is uh, who owns the farm data that you're dealing with, right? So if you're servicing a combine, um, uh, you want to make sure that it's clear that the dealer does not own that 
information that the combine is generating. Unless uh, the dealer wants to own that, then they need to make sure that's clear. Um, secondly, uh, who has access to that data? So if, if the technician is actually in the combine and, and accessing this information, or maybe they take it to another computer and help the farmer upload it, um, if, if that technician has access to the data, uh, then that needs to be explained that just because they have access doesn't mean that this person necessarily is the owner of the data. Uh, likewise, it'd be good to explain who has rights to that data um, at a later point. So if uh, you know a landlord calls and says, uh, we want to know what was going on on this field, and we think that you might have this information, uh, you can say, well, we've got a contract with the farmer, and uh, we're not allowed to give you that information. And so that's number three, right, is to protect the farmer's secrecy, because if if this information truly is a trade secret and we're going to value it that way, then that's uh, very important. Um, and then the last point, and this is something that Lance had mentioned too, is to make sure that employees, uh, technicians, others understand those privacy policies uh, because it does absolutely no one any good if that inf if you know, you have policies in place that say the farmer owns this information, we don't own it, we don't let other people access it. But if the employees don't understand that and don't know what your policies are or don't know what John Deere's policies or uh, uh, Case New Holland's policies are, then it really doesn't do anyone any good. Um, and here are just three basic tips. Now these are tips I would say, uh, when you're calling your lawyer and you say, we need a service agreement or we need this kind of contract to deal with farmers, these are the three basic things that I think uh, should be included. Uh, one would be transparency, right? So uh, I always say, you know, in this farm data world, there really aren't right or wrong answers today because this is a new evolving area of the law. The important thing is that contracts are transparent and so that if a farmer signs something, they know what happens to their data, they know what the pipeline is or the route is that the data takes and where it goes after they sign up or buy some new equipment. Uh, the second is to obtain consent, so to the extent you're accessing data uh, from a farmer that they know that and they've consented to that. And then the last would be to have adequate notice. So I think one of the interesting things from my vantage point um, it, practicing law for a number of years is that in so many ways farmers sign contracts and these contracts have stayed the same for years and years and years. Uh, when we're dealing with precision ag technologies and data transfer, these policies are changing uh, every year because new technologies come on board, companies change what they're doing with data. And so, uh, you know, farmers are getting asked many times to sign off on a new policy that maybe they didn't sign on to when they originally agreed to use some specific technology. So I think the last part is to know that uh, Farmers need to have notice when these policies change and the opportunity to accept or deny them. Uh, you know, anyone who has a smartphone knows we get these things all the time from technology companies. Um, all right, so the last thing I want to talk about today is a project I'm very excited to be working on. Um, it's called the Ag Data Transparency Evaluator, and I think it'll be a good tool for dealers to use. Um, a number of companies are already signed on to use this product, but um, including John Deere, Case New Holland, and uh, Agco. Uh, but it goes back to um, the privacy and security principles of farm data that uh, Lance had mentioned that American Farm Bureau started working on um, 
really three, four years ago already. But in 2014, they put out a document which categorized 13 different principles that they thought the industry should subscribe to when we're dealing with uh, farmer data transfers and precision agriculture. And this was a consortium of different groups that signed on to this. Uh, so the major manufacturing equipment uh, or manufa equipment manufacturers signed on to it. Um, you also had the major seed companies in the country like Monsanto, DuPont, Dow AgriSciences, Bex Hybrids. They signed on to this. Um, and then a number of the commodity groups also signed on to it, like uh, National uh, Corn Growers, American Soybean Association. Uh, but it was really uh, led by American Farm Bureau. And uh, step one of this was to have everyone sign on to core principles. You can read those on American Farm Bureau's website. Um, but step two was to provide a, a better framework for analyzing contracts. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, a couple of the principles which I think are very applicable to dealerships um, and servicing uh, farmer needs with respect to precision ag technologies. Uh, one would be ownership. And, you know, the, the group really wrestled with how do you deal with data ownership because it seems like a very confusing area of the law. And so what they settled on was really a three-part process. Uh, the first was to say that the default rules that everyone should agree a farmer owns the data. Now, that, that makes sense. I think we read that all the time. Uh, but that's a little overly simplistic, of course, where you have a farmer uh, who may be a tenant farmer and the landlord uh, also thinks that they own the data on that field. Or maybe a, a farm cooperative is generating data and they think they own it. So it's a little bit uh, too simplistic to just say, Farmers own the data, end of discussion. So part two was that if other persons have an interest in the data, uh, then the farmers and that person should agree on ownership principles. And so uh, that means where a landlord and tenant uh, uh, are both involved and both want the farm data, uh, they should agree amongst each other who has rights to that information. And then whoever has rights to that information, that's the company or the person that should be the one that signs the agreement with the ag technology provider. So that's the, the real basic three-part framework for farm data ownership. Another one I think is highly relevant to this audience uh, is that uh, is portability. And, and I know Lance talked about this. Ag Gateway is very involved with uh, portability. But the idea here was that um, farmers should be able to retrieve data after it's uploaded uh, with someone, and that they should also be able to delete that data later on with the understanding, of course, that data that's put in an aggregated pool may not be able to be retrieved or deleted. So part one of this process was to come up with these core principles with, with which all of these companies signed on to. Part two was to come up with some sort of tool to evaluate the policies that are out there to determine are these companies following and abiding by the, the principles that they signed on to. And that's the project that's underway now called the Ag Data Transparency Evaluator, which should launch later this year. Uh, but the way this will work is each of these companies that has products on the market, if they choose, can decide to go through this process where they answer 10 basic questions about what they're doing with farmers' data. And these questions then are reviewed by an independent third party. And the answer sheet then will be posted, the evaluation will be posted on American Farm Bureau's website under a subheading called the Ag Data Transparency Evaluator. 
Um, now, the 10 questions are still a work in progress, but here are some of uh, the types of things that they will ask. Uh, one would be, what are the categories of information, categories of information that the product collects? So if you take a product like, um, uh, let's say, My John Deere or uh, Field Scripts or Field View or something like that, what's the information that that product collects if a farmer signs on to it? Um, the second one is, uh, does this company then sell, transfer, or share that data with another party? Um, so if you sign up with, um, let's say, precision planting, right, does that information end up going to another company later on if you're sharing data with precision planting? Uh, another question, does the farmer have the opportunity to delete that data after it's transferred? And another one that's just come up uh, is uh, if the company is sold, what happens to the farmer's data, right? And uh, this is uh, the talk right now because you have the Dow-DuPont merger and you also had uh, John Deere acquiring precision planting. And so it's caused, I think, some people to ask what's going to happen to data that's housed in one company that then gets acquired by another company. Um, I'll skip this uh, other than to say that the Ag Data Transparency Evaluator, it is a, a nonprofit organization that's governed by both industry partners. Um, John Deere, uh, Case New Holland, and Agco have been very involved in this. Um, also industry players um, uh, like uh, farm commodity groups and American Farm Bureau National Farmers Union. Um, my concluding thoughts, um, or concluding thought is really this, that I think we're at a crossroads right now where uh, with precision agriculture, we have a golden opportunity. Because when I think about my iPhone uh, or my computer at Google, um, I think in so many ways consumers, we've given up our privacy already and we've just conceded that these companies like Google are going to know uh, what we're searching for online and, and what we do when we're online. Um, likewise, we just kind of conceded that Apple's gonna know where we go and what they do when we have our iPhones on us. But I think agriculture, we're not at that point yet where anyone's ready to concede that farmer's data is just gonna go out into the cloud and be accessible to everyone. And so we have an opportunity today through drafting contracts that make this clear and by doing other things like participating in the Ag Data Transparency Evaluator um, and, and treating farmer data as a trade secret when necessary uh, to really make ag data something different than these other streams of data that we're talking about. So I, I like to think that we have a real opportunity here to make a difference um, in an area that is really developing from day to day. Well, thank you to both Todd and Lance for sharing your expert advice on how dealers can help insulate themselves and their customers from liability and loss of valuable farm data. Those listeners who would like to see more of Todd and Lance's presentations mentioned during this program, you can visit www.precisionfarmingdealer.com slash podcasts. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for helping make this Precision Farming Dealer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to and welcome your feedback on today's program. So drop me a line at 262-777-2441 or send me an email at jzemlicka 
at lessitermedia.com. And once again, if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes or the Google Play Store. And again, this will help you get alerts when future episodes in this series are released. And you can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Finally, don't forget to join us at the second Precision Farming Dealer Summit coming up on January 9th and 10th in St. Louis. Again, the theme of this dealer-only event is Proven Business Blueprints and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. For more information and to view the full program, visit www.precisionsummit.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on November 17th for the next episode in our 2016 podcast series, Realizing the Potential of Recurring Service Revenue, when Jason Pennycook, Precision Specialist with Johnson Tractor, a four-store equipment dealership based in Wisconsin, will share some best practices for creating a lucrative business around precision service. For Lance Formwalt and Todd Jansen, Farmer's Edge, and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening.